0: the podcast is back i'm your host taylor henry and this is the 1080 outdoors podcast um, we're switching things up it is the fall it is the first podcast of the fall it is about to be the best time of the year right now as i'm saying this is august 27th there is a chill in the air there is excitement brewing inside of all of us uh, Wisconsin is two weeks away from opening season, and I know other states are shortly behind. Um, just a quick kind of update on how we're going to do the podcast this fall. Um, today on this podcast, I'm joined by uh, my good friend Steve says, who is going to follow along. I think for the whole fall, um, we're going to chronicle our hunting journeys, and we're really going to dive into and we're going to talk about this more is is land management and kind of the uh, the bullshit that you get fed um, via the hunting industry and via marketing, um, which big fan of marketing, that's fine. Uh, but there's a lot of bullshit to, to uh, sift through. Uh, so I'm joined by Steve. Steve's awesome. Um, I think you guys are really gonna like him. Uh, this interview unfortunately was during some housework, and there is an annoying pounding sometimes in the background. So if you can just hang tight and survive that, uh, that would be greatly appreciated because there is a lot of cool stuff we go over. We cover kind of the overview of what we want this podcast to look like this fall and, uh, and then some of the goals that Steve has for this fall and, and I have and our philosophies on land management. So um, we will continue having other podcasts with Jed and, and the rest of the team too and, and we're just going to chronicle this this whole fall. Uh, we just want to give you guys as much content and as much stuff to listen and view as we possibly can. So, and if you haven't, um, I have been writing a blog, which I think there's probably about like eight or nine of them out right now, and it's covering a ton of different things, and it'll cover a lot of the stuff we cover in this podcast. So, um, sit back, enjoy this listen, and I once again, I apologize for the very annoying pounding, but, um, gotta do what we gotta do so hopefully steve and i are going to talk on a weekly basis and and just bring you updates throughout the season and we're going to cover some really cool topics because steve's been hunting for a long time he's been there done that spent the money same with me Um, we're just going to hopefully number one get you guys success quicker than normal and hopefully save you some money um, on some of your land management tactics but um, sit back relax and here we fall of 2019 looking forward to it I am joined with Steve Uh, Steve's going to join me this year chronicling our years together and we're our main focus on this podcast is to cover land management uh, overall deer hunting um, techniques and kind of just a little bit of a nephew to the rest of the industry with how they take advantage of lack of knowledge.
1: Um, I wouldn't say it's kind of an fu. It's definitely an fu. <laughs> uh, the misinformation that's all over the industry.
0: Okay. Let's, we don't need to abbreviate either. So it's, it's a fuck you to the rest of the industry. Um, and our goal is to number one, chronicle and document how our season is going and give you real time updates. And number two, just overall land management practices and theories and, um, yeah. So Steve, this is our first podcast of the fall. I'm not sure what, how many podcasts we've done so far, but that's not that important. But number one of the fall, um, kind of give a little introduction to what you do in your normal life and your goals of being on this podcast with me. And
1: yeah, so you know I'm a, a business owner in real life and, um, fortunately that gives me time and freedom to spend a lot of time, um, with land management and, uh, I know I've been duped over the years, admittedly, by a lot of industry fads and BS and wasted money. And learned from my mistakes. And uh, just like in my my fitness clubs and health clubs, um, I see it all the time. It's very there's a big parallel where where people are getting duped on stupid supplements and stupid quick fixes and all this stuff. And it's the same thing in the hunting industry. So just like in my uh, regular job where I help people not get duped um, all the time. I want to do the same, same in the hunting. And uh, so for me, and you know, I bought forty acres, uh, forty acre plot. I don't know, was that three years ago now? I've been doing a ton of land management, um, different than what the the, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The industry tells you to do a lot of, because um, you know, they're just trying to sell products. So yeah, so I'll explain what I've done and what works. It's been amazing how well it works and how it's like less expensive and saves time compared to what most people do.
0: Than bringing in a bulldozer and clearing out a 10 acre food plot.
1: <laughs> yeah. Much, much easier and less expensive than bringing in a bulldozer, clearing a plot, spraying roundup, planting food, putting down lime. Yeah. And, and then every year you, and then you have to buy a, uh, like a UTV, a disc, a plow, a cultipacker. And, uh, the reason I can rattle this off is because I've done that. And, uh, I'm kind of embarrassed to admit it, but I bought a UTV, a disc, a packer, all this stuff just to do that. And it was all a huge mistake. Huge, huge mistake.
0: It's like, it is, seriously is never ending. You you can never have enough equipment because once you get into like when people talk about the micro plots and, and the cheap poor man plot, well, then you need, once you move up from that, then you're getting a four-wheeler, then you're getting the disc, which is like $500 and you're getting a packer like you're saying. And, and then what's your next step after you've graduated from the four-wheeler and all that stuff? It's actual <laughs> tractor equipment and like, tractor.
1: And then you're buying roundup every year and spraying everything. And you're buying more seed every year. And um, I, We'll get into it at some point, but in my opinion, the single most effective land management tool is a chainsaw. Just a good chainsaw that'll last 30 years.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, we can move right into that. So I think a great, topic for our first introduction of this fall is, is your overall kind of like highlighting theory. And we're going to get way more in depth on some of these topics, but kind of give people your overall like theory on, um, point A to point B and point A being you aren't seeing mature bucks. You aren't killing mature bucks to point B where your property is set up ideally for mature buck to live on, because that's, that is our goal is to have those bucks live on our property.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the property I bought, um, it's a bluff. I just it's basically a bluff, and uh, the top of the bluff was a big field of uh, goldenrod. Right, just you know, it's like a tall, tall, weedy, grassy. The first thing I did was like what everyone, a lot of people would probably do, right? I got uh, went up there, mowed everything, waited till it started growing, hit it with Roundup, killed everything, and then I got the UTV and the disc, and I ripped everything up, and I planted seed. And um, funny, the first seed I planted, nothing grew, and I checked the trail and turkeys ate everything. They just ate all my seed.
0: They came in right after it got laid. Right after, it
1: was just like a row of them. They ate everything, right? (laughs) The soy, the beans, and the oats and the peas. It was a uh, bean, oat, pea combo. So I'm like, all right. So then I went with smaller seeds that the birds couldn't see. So you know, just tons and tons of work, and uh, planted all this stuff, and it was just. a, a huge waste of time and money. It just was. So then I got, you know, I started working work with some a DNR forester and had them come out and I started really learning my trees and identifying trees and identifying like my habitat really well. And what it needed more than anything was for me just to start cutting out the trees that shouldn't be there. Right. Cause I had all these trees that were shading out everything. So there wasn't nearly enough cover for deer. Um, there wasn't good bedding. There wasn't, it's just, so I got a chainsaw and just started cutting, cutting trees like crazy, but cutting the right trees, right? It's very important to really learn the right trees and understand which ones to cut and which ones to leave and which ones to stump treats and um, really got into it. And I went from one rub. I had one rub on my entire for and I know because I spent a ton of time out there. And the next year I had 50 plus, probably closer to hundred, just an unbelievable explosion of buck rubs and buck sightings and, massive amounts of more deer and more turkeys. And I, it's just huge improvements in a very short time. And it it would have been much quicker if I hadn't spent, I spent about two years fucking around with food plots. Yeah. (laughs) Trying different seed mixes, trying the brassica mixes with winter rye, um, trying everything. it was just, uh, I mean, there's a time and a place for food plots, no doubt. But, um, for mine, and I think a lot of people, it's a, it's a waste of money. But now that's, um, with the new strategy, I have so damn much more food for the deer than a food plot could ever produce. It's just, it's an, a massive amount.
0: Yeah. I'm You named, you've named stats before. And, and just so everyone's clear, I've been to Steve's property. It's literally in his backyard. So he spends a lot of time there and he's, he's doing exactly what he's practicing here too. It's, it's, cause you can see it on your neighbors. Like it's, it's a, It's a tree park pretty much. Yeah, it's really
1: cool. I I, I wish I could post a video, but like uh, if you're standing on my fence line and you look into the neighbors, you can see for probably a hundred yards, right? And then if you pan over and look into my property, you can't see 10 feet and just a chainsaw. It's all because of a chainsaw and uh, you just identify the. you got to know the right trees to cut down. So you cut down the right trees and then if you don't want them to come back, you hit the stump with a little bit of roundup and they're dead. And then that gives all the good stuff that you want to grow an advantage. And then once that stuff just explodes. So now there's just blackberries and brambles and tons of food slash cover for deer. And, uh, it's just, it's amazing. It's yeah, it's just, it's a of, it's, it's a shame I was duped. I spent a lot of money on seeds and roundup and discs and I've sold all that right now. It's a, it's a chainsaw.
0: Yeah. Well, um,
1: and safety equipment that I should wear more
0: often. I guess one question I have has, have you, have you ever like, uh, kind of like architect the way that those, those thickets grow up? Like, have you tried creating, uh, edges and stuff in specific areas, um, thinking of wind or have you just kind of cut it all down and you're going to hunt off how they react to it?
1: Um, okay. So the, the most important thing I focus on is, killing the trees that you don't want there. Ironwood, for example, it's just a, it's useless, right? So mm-hmm. getting rid of those and then select cutting the the less valuable trees. But then there are certain pockets um, where you just want to cut down everything. And it's a huge, huge tangled mess of logs and trees. So when you got that huge mess, then I'll, I'll cut paths through, right? So I can dictate exactly where the deer are going to travel. So I created like a, like a perimeter of where the deer can travel. And I keep like certain areas, super thick and nasty, but then where I'm entering into my stands, I won't be as I'll, I'll leave them more open. Right. So that right. way they aren't hanging out there and I can get in there um, without them knowing I'm getting in there.
0: Awesome. Yeah. So I think between us, like our perspectives are going to be a little different. I don't own a property that I have complete control over. Um, and so a lot of people that listen might not have complete control over. So what would you say to someone who maybe it's a lease, maybe it's family property. Is there something that they can do um, to get that? Cause the overall theme here is to get sunlight to the floor.
1: Yeah. I, I would think like if you explained it to any property owner, it's like, Hey, um, I'm willing to do the work to remove these poor quality trees and mm-hmm. improve hunting for me but it's also going to drastically improve your land massively. And it's really cool because I I like reading the science, right? I don't like, you know, hunting shows are trying to sell you something. There's actual like good science on land management, like good actual like, you know, forest biologists, and team biologists, and I like to follow their advice. So a good example is if you have a cluster of oak trees, right? Cut down like the two or three lower quality oak trees. The one tree you leave, will produce far more acorns than those four that were there. Plus now you also have more sunlight hitting the forest floor. So you get more blackberries, more brambles, more greenbrier, more cover, more bedding, more everything. So if you explain that to a landowner, it's like, Hey, I'm not going to cut down a single high value tree. Like, you know, I'm, I'm not going to go and cut down your black walnuts, right? That'd be kind of a dick move to uh, cut down the most expensive trees in the woods, but I will get rid of your ironwood. I will thin out your elms. I will, you know, get out your crappy, crooked, wrinkly oaks with no crown that are just, um, you know, wasting space. You know, what, here's, it's something that's really interesting. I don't think people realize. Taylor is like, let's say you have like three, a cluster of three oak trees. One, one's like, you know, you can tell substantially nicer than the other two. If you cut down the other two, that those two trees are taking water from the good one, right? So if you cut down the other two, it's like you're watering that one really good tree every single rainstorm because it gets so much more water and then it will produce way more acorns. And it's actually a, the studies have been done, right? You actually get a a net gain in acorns by cutting down oak trees, which kind of, it's kind of counterintuitive, right?
0: Yeah. I mean The magical majestic oak tree is something that people would think never to cut down as a,
1: as a, yeah, it's not true. You want to, you want to thin them out and, and, uh, try and help out help help out the biggest ones and then too a lot of people you know oak trees are great nuts are great but if you really look at the science it's a very small part of a deer's diet really and um what was it remember like three years ago when we had that really late frost like there was no apples and there were like no acorns at all because they you know the the, the oaks were already um, flowered out budded out and the the frost killed them right so there's those years when there's like no nuts or very few nuts but you can always have vines and briars and and that kind of cover. And that's why you got to, you know, cut down trees.
0: And let's, let's also go like, think about why people get so confused and why people tell them that the reason they're not seeing their deer on the fields or reason they're not seeing any deer is because they're, they're back in the deep timber, eating eating oaks, eating oaks, eating oaks. And generally that happens when the first two weeks of October, well, what else is happening then? Everything's browning out. Like, your hay fields, you're losing your bean fields are turning Brown. You're, uh, even in the, in that like browse in the woods is starting to die. So they're, they're forced to go to the oaks in the woods. Would you say there's any truth behind that?
1: Yeah, well, I forced and then but then also, I mean, you're right. There's only acorns for a while and they love them, especially white yeah. oaks, right? White oaks taste better. So it's kind of like a human, right? Let's say you go to a buffet every, every day. And then for a certain part of the year, they have your favorite food on the buffet, right? Well, you're going to go to that fucking buffet to get, you're going to pick your favorite foods just because it's available. And uh, I mean, if they had acorns year round, they'd be eating them year round, but they're not year round. And some years there's just not that many of them. Right. So that's why it's it's better to focus. Here's a, um, um, you know, those like those trying to visualize there's those like rectangular plastic or rubber storage bins. You know, they're probably like three feet by two feet by two feet high, you know, those things like visualize that. Yep. If you pack that full of leaves, like just jam it full of leaves, that's how much a deer has to eat every day on average. That much browse. It's a lot of freaking food, right? Year round, on average, and um, you're not going to get that just from from nuts. So I, um, I mean, nuts are great, but but, you know, the evidence is clear. It's uh, it's better to to cut down some trees and get some sunlight on your forest floor so you get that growth six feet or five feet lower where deer can actually reach the leaves
0: i mean it's a if you want to look at the marketing approach of the hunting industry there's a reason why this is not well known because number one it doesn't sell food plot seed to cut trees down and number two what's like the most popular flavor of attractant one of them oak
1: oak and apple
0: yeah oak and apple so like I mean, it's all leading back to a marketing <laughs> approach of telling you that, well, all when deer aren't on your food plots, they're sitting back in the woods and all they're doing is eating on oaks. That's it. That's it. So what What do you need? You need oak attracting. Let's bring them back out. Right. The food plot. <laughs> right. It's, it's like, and we, I will get into numbers about it, but like people don't realize that 95% of the deer's diet is the food they eat in the woods that they're living in. Like right.
1: browse. browse, that's it. Like. And- Dude, you know, speaking of apple trees? This I just made me think of something really cool. So, like when I bought my property, there's especially you know where we live. There's a lot of wild apple trees. But most guys, one can't identify an apple tree, I don't think. But two, when you do, a lot of times in the woods they're really overgrown. So I went in and I thinned out my apple trees. Like cut out a. You don't want to cut out more than a third. But I thinned out my apple trees, and they went from like you know these a bunch of little tiny apples and really sparse to just massive amounts of apples being produced in my woods, massive amounts. Yeah. And all I did was take a fricking saw out there and cut branches off the apple trees. Like, you know, how many people are out buying little apple shrubs and plant. I actually went to a dude's property one time. and I seen his little apple seedlings that he planted for deer. And then walking through his woods along a, uh, a logging road, I could see where he cut down like half of a mature apple tree because he didn't even know what it was. So he's got this awesome mature apple tree. That he freaking bought killed and, and then goes and buys seedlings when a few would have just trimmed up and like prunes the apple tree. It, I mean, it's amazing, dude. If you've ever done it, how many more apples? And then I've done it for my neighbors too because they have apple trees in their yard. I'm like, make you a deal. Let me prune up your apple trees. And it's funny, like, all oh, these apple trees don't produce. It's all these little baby ones. Well, like, oh, yeah, you haven't pruned them. So you prune up the tree and I'm like, once you get all these huge apples, I just get some apples to make applesauce. I'm like, yeah, whatever. And uh, yeah, the neighbors probably like stevie the
0: well, I mean, look at how much work goes into running an apple orchard. Like those guys are pruning those apple trees all the time. It's the same; like they need that type of attention, obviously. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's weird. It, like it, it goes against. It's kind of like counterintuitive how much, like, how thin an apple tree should be. They say if you can, if you if you can't throw your hat through it, it's not thin enough. But once you do that, you get a massive amount of apples. And obviously, it's it's one of those things, too, kind of you're saying about acorns. Like, if deer could eat apples year-round, you know, obviously they're going to do it. But, you know, they don't get it year-round. But for a couple weeks in the fall, it's like candy. And they're going to, you know, those good apple trees are going to pull deer from from quite a ways away sometimes.
0: Well, you're just – it's – I mean, everything about land management, everything about setting your woods up for this is creating – these options for the deer. Like if they want to hit oak tree oaks for a couple of weeks in October, like great. Keep some oak trees, but manage Absolutely. your oak trees. If if they're gonna eat apples during that probably around that same time, great. Prune your apple trees. Manage your apple mm-hmm. trees. Like and then, and
1: then also cut down a bunch of junk trees. So you got a ton of browns to go with it. So right.
0: And then perfect. you gotta think about what what's available to them the rest of the year. Like it's especially like your 40 acre chunk there it's, that's how you are going to maximize and optimize that land for sure.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And to like where we live, but you know, it's crazy how, I mean, <laughs> there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of acres of, of uh, egg fields around me. Right. And then you get all these big overly mature, overgrown forests. It's like, well, what do they really need? They need more cover. They need more food inside the woods other than a food plot, just cut stuff down and let their, let grow what they used to eat for, you know, 2 million years before the agricultural revolution.
0: Yeah. And you think, and you can look at, um, this is kind of an example is in those big crop and egg areas, Illinois, Iowa, a lot of those deer will live right out in that corn, um, for a lot of large part of the season. But, and because of one reason, that's where their food is. They don't have all that browse in the woods. They don't have, um, all that good stuff to eat. So they obviously need to bed and lay and live in an area with that. has a ton of food that can support their diet.
1: You know, the thing is? I just thought that's really cool that I think a lot of times gets overlooked is when you just manage your land to manage your land. I mean, obviously it's been great for my white tailed deer, but I also have more turkeys and I see now uh, what am I getting for woodcock for the first time? Um, uh, bobcats for the first time. And, a big thing that's so so important that I know a lot of hunters miss is coyotes can be a problem, and everyone wants to kill the coyotes and trap them. And if you look at the, again, you know that they've done crazy awesome studies on this. You know, what I, it's crazy. You know what a coyote's range is, by the way. Have you Ever heard?
0: I know. No, I haven't.
1: It's like a hundred square miles. They've tracked coyotes that'll cover three states. Right. And they're like, there is no way, they're they're such a crazy animal. They're like, if you kill a bunch of them, the females will just have larger litters to bring the population right back, right? So trying to get rid of them by killing them, trapping them is damn, well, it is impossible. It just can't be done. They tried it years ago, and they used to put, like, strychnine on animals to take out the wolves, but they couldn't get rid of the coyotes. But anyhow, the point is- aren't
0: they the most widely versed animal in, like, North America?
1: Oh, yeah, dude. They live in downtown Chicago. Right, you'll find coyotes literally running through downtown Chicago. They're freaking brilliant animals. I've even um read studies where, like, you know, when they're talking at night, like a female, they know it, you know, if someone's missing, like they know who's out there, and then they'll have more pups. It's crazy. But so what do you do? Right, you can't get rid of all the damn coyotes. You cut down trees and create more cover so fawns actually have a place to hide, and it drastically improves their survival, right? That's why when a fawn is born. They have no smell and they don't move. The, the whole purpose is just to be hidden. And uh, the biologists, are really good um, analogy that I like, is if you throw a basketball in the springtime, like fine time, if you throw a basketball and you can see it, your stuff's not thick enough.
0: And that just creates sacred place for them to raise their, their fawn. Yeah,
1: so then you uh, not only are you creating better habitat for bucks and more food and all this, but you're also improving fawn um what's the word like the the probability of fawn survival and you know it helps out uh, baby turkey survival too when they have and this is kind of interesting too a lot of people don't realize this but like nest robbers um like turkey egg nest robbers what keeps them down is coyotes so coyotes do have a purpose because they're the guys that kill some of the nest robbers it's kind of it's kind of interesting how things all work together but it all comes back to creating really good habitat and. and, and mansion property. One thing too, I'll tell you, as this, uh, our, our season progresses, it's kind of cool. I think one of my goals is I have two different guys who've never bull hunted before. So um, I don't know. A part of my I'm kind of older than you. I get as much pleasure helping someone else get a deer as myself. So I'm really looking forward to helping. I've set up some pretty easy stand locations and to uh, help help get some new guys their first deer, which would be super cool
0: yeah so um we can that'll be a good way for us to kind of wrap up as our goals for the year and kind of listen out um exactly how what we want to accomplish but um as far as my philosophy on all this stuff it runs very in parallel with steve's um i do plant some food plots and i i've cut way back on them now and really number one reason is that because most of it is bullshit and most of it just sucks your bank account. And I firmly believe like really all you need to do a plant food plot is, is to spray a little area and throw the seed down before a good rain. And you're going to get the same results. um, than doing the whole process of what people tell you to do, but that's, I mean, that's not here nor there. I do use them some, but I usually use them to concentrate some type of pinch, some type of movement past the stand. They're not giant acres of, food plots to, that I am like ill-advised, ill-advised to think that they're feeding my herd because I mean there's hundreds and hundreds of acres of crops like you said around plus hundreds and hundreds of acres of uh, um, browse in the woods around us. So that's kind of yeah, my I, philosophy.
1: I'm like not totally against food plots by any means. It's just like for my property and I think for a lot of them, yeah way, way down the priority list, Um, as opposed to being the first thing you should go for, like I did when I first bought it.
0: Yeah. And I I mean, just, just our conversations last six months have made me reconsider like the food plots I did plant. I let, I let three food plots that I normally would plant go this year, just let them go. Um, so there's going to be tall weedy areas that are probably more beneficial than, than me planting something there and hoping it grows. But like the ones I, I planted one new one. That came that is just literally an extension off of probably, I want to say it's like twenty acres of of like CRP weedy um, goldenrod like you're talking about that the farmer because of the rains and stuff has not planted now in two years and that's my neighbor Ooh. farmer so like I know they're bedding in there and all it is is a little line along a fence line that's a pinch to try to pull them up it, like just something for them to cross through. Like that's all it is. Right. It's nothing. It's like a quarter acre of.
1: Speaking uh, of bedding, that's something else I've done that uh, I, I think a lot of people are missing. Is it's steep where you and I hunt, right? So it's sometimes it's hard for them to find a flat place to lay down. So I'll actually go out with a, a pickaxe and dig out flat spots, like shelves on the hillside and actually create beds. And it's crazy how quickly those deer will find them in bed exactly where you want them to bed.
0: Yeah. It's just so everyone, yeah, we live on, we live in Southwest Wisconsin. So like it's big bluffs and steep ravines and I, I've seen, yeah, or like they naturally create them over time too. So like you're just helping them with yeah, that process.
1: Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, cause it's one thing too, when I go hunting out West and you sleep in the woods, sometimes like, fuck, I can't find a flat place to lay down. Right. Um, but the same thing with the deer. They, you can see where they, they bed. It's not some great spot. It's just cause it's, it's the only flat place around. So I'll create more flat spots where I want them to be. And, uh, it's crazy. It's is kind of cool when you create a bed and I'll see you on there and it's like, shit, it's full of deer hair. I don't have think deer, many people, have yeah. you,
0: you, here's, here's, I'm going to challenge you to do this. Do you think it's try to get a camera in on one of those beds? I put a camera on a bed last year and it's like the coolest thing you'd ever get pictures of.
1: Yeah, I could do that for sure. Because you
0: see, like, oh, man, you see, number one, that it's not just one buck using it. It's multiple bucks. Does will jump in there sometimes. but uh, And then you can really, then you really, like, nail down to what wind that they're betting on. And you see how much they actually move during the day, too. I know a couple, I found one bed last year um, in, like, a little finger woods. So I did this on it. And they kind of move out of that woods once crops get harvested. Cause it's one of those island woods, you know, in, in, amongst crops that are really popular for them to bed in. But it was it was insane to see how much number one they move around during the middle of the day, just probably in that little woods. And number two, like all the different deer that bed in that bed. It's not just yeah. And they day.
1: say I mean, the biologists say a deer they of <laughs> a times a day, right? So it's not just you know dawn and dusk, but they get up and feed. That's why it's nice having the. uh the, the bedding slash browse on your property. So they bed there and feed there and live there, you know, and, and for me too, I kind of like it, you know, I, I want the deer to live on my property. They can go eat on the neighbors in middle of the night for all I care. But once they're done eating there in the nighttime, they come back and live where, you know, where I'm hunting. I'm, I'm there waiting for them in the morning.
0: That is, that is like the, it can't be, it's not, it can't be expressed enough. Like that is the important thing that they're living on your property right because if there's a if your property is a pass-through if it's a nighttime feeding area if it's any of those things like you have a problem
1: habitat too there's one thing we'll get into this too a lot of guys they'll see you know they'll seeing all these big bucks right now big bucks right now and then leaves drop and they disappear well it's like why is that once the leaves drop they they look oftentimes completely changed where they live because the habitat has changed so much So my property is completely managed to hold deer in the fall. Like I really could care less if they're here in the summer, right? It's not hunting season. So that's a a big part too.
0: Oh yeah, for sure. And I mean, you're kind of handcuffed anyways, where it'd be hard for you to get a bunch of chugging pictures of a deer in the summer right there in the middle of the woods. like.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely.
0: But I mean, so I guess kind of overviewing like our philosophies is number one. Um, don't think that you need all the beautiful equipment and beautiful food plots to be successful.
1: Right.
0: Number two, sit back and like, really look at your woods. If it looks like a fucking national park, cut some trees down. let let the key is the sun needs to hit the ground. And, and it's funny because people will do that. People will use that technique and then plant like a little like line of like an eighth of an acre of a food plot, like their little micro kill plot. And if they just followed that same like thought process where they just let that area grow up and then they just built like, you know, use that border as a, as a way for deer going to, they're going to move in there. I think it's more beneficial in the long run.
1: Oh yeah. It's more beneficial. It's less expensive. And that's what we we'll more too is I, I think a big thing is, you know what I mean? I, 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 struggle with this at first too. It's like cutting this down is good. Like cutting all these trees down is a good thing.
0: Well, you've never been. Nobody's preached it to you.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Nobody I mean, I mean, on Outdoor Channel is telling you to do that. Nope. There's no money to be made in telling someone to go to steal and buy a chainsaw or husk barn or whatever they want to get, and yeah. uh, going and just cutting down the right trees. But uh, man, it's it's awesome. It's awesome. How how much better? How many more deer you'll hold, dude? I remember, like no bullshit. I one fucking rub. One. Right. So bad it was to like everywhere they're just everywhere it's so cool and uh, now i guess my only only thing for me is time because either one i gotta get some big boys and some really big boys to come cruising and find it and say this place is awesome or or the ones that are there now um just you know get age on them
0: yeah for sure um and i and just i remember as a kid hunting the main farm I hunt now and they're being very very sparse of deer um really I mean you've heard of, you heard of big bucks here and there but you never really saw them and then um my my uncle being just a an old stubborn farmer not because he thought that it was going to improve the deer habitat <laughs> had cut down a lot of you know ash trees obviously because we went through the you know the ash crisis and how long ago do you think that started like 10 years ago I don't even know.
1: I couldn't even
0: guess. I'll say that it's not really a logging, but it's, he, he, for some reason, he started cutting a lot of trees down leaving a lot of treetops in places. And, and these treetops get washed down into ditches. There's one spot in particular that got hit by a tornado about seven years ago. That's all just messy, like shitty area. And it's all treetops because he actually went in there afterwards and, and took all the wood out. And, like, that is the best doe bedding area possible on that farm. Like, there's always
1: – How awesome is that tornado for the woods, right?
0: Oh, just amazing. Second best thing that could happen besides a forest fire.
1: Yeah, amazing. That's what my uh, my in-laws, what, a year and a half ago now, um, had their 400 acres logged off. It's going to be so good. So, I mean, it's like – and for him, he's, I'm like, dude, this is going to be so good for deer. And he, my father-in-law, he thinks it's like – he thought it was bad because you're getting rid of all the nut producing trees. It's like it's, this needs it's so bad. It's just so thick and nasty. That's where you hit the, uh, there's gonna be some big bucks out there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, think about how the earth
1: <laughs>
0: has evolved over the years and it's been because of natural disasters. So, um, yeah, tornadoes, forest fires. Um, yeah,
1: it's kind of bad, but I'm sick because both my, uh, I still, have
0: figured, I still have not figured out how these giant floods
1: are, are improving habitat yet, though. How they are? Yeah. Well, I know one thing that um, for, like, you know, like the farms, like the fields and the valleys that have been over-farmed and the topsoil, you know, off for years, pulling all that silt and stuff down actually is kind of good for the fields because it brings some nutrients down. So that's one benefit. But.
0: Well, there you go. You found one.
1: Yeah. that's. The but one it's least. also
0: it's also kind of like. Yeah, I mean it's a whole other conversation. Like, is are these floods from direct? Is it actually natural for the Earth to be doing
1: that, or whatever? Or global warming or something? Well, I tell you one thing that isn't natural that um, is massive amounts of water runoff. So monoculture fields aren't. So monoculture means like cornfield or soybean field, where you have one crop. So these giant monoculture fields that instead of like thick grasses that don't hold water. So when you get a heavy rain, you get so much more water runoff down through the valleys. And that's why these, you know, you're getting these super steep cuts through the hills that, you know, you normally wouldn't have that because you'd have so much grass holding the water and slowing down the amount of, um, you know, washouts. But what do you do, right? Egg fields, we're not changing that.
0: I mean, even those like really nice grass waterways help. A lot of farmers don't do that even. Nope. Um, So yeah, I think that's that was an overall pretty good overview of what number one, our philosophies and kind of the angle we're gonna go. So if you don't really like what we said so far, you're probably not gonna listen to it anymore. But
1: yeah, if you want to go spend a bunch of money on some yeah. fancy food plot with Lee and Tiffany on it, we're the wrong guys to listen to. I,
0: overall, like, I'm gonna keep this thing as simple as possible and yeah. and informational. So like, you should learn like the types of trees in the woods that you're hunting. Like it's it's good to know that when that buck comes through or that doe comes through and they're chewing on and they're eating brows of a leaf, you're like, what the hell? Like what, what kind of leaf is that? Because it happens. And instead of sitting there blindly in the woods, like do something about it. And I hope that we can kind of, number one, be educational. Number two, be uh, fun enough to listen to where you guys continue to listen. So Yeah.
1: Remember next, next time, remind me to talk about uh, mineral stumps, which is super, yeah. super cool that people don't, know about but it's it dude i i oh mean i i can get pictures of this stuff so you can like i have examples of it so cool and then two very soon once the leaves drop and te- trees go dormant i got a big cutting project which uh, can show some really good before and afters and then um next year yeah. to see the before after after when you see the explosion of growth it's uh it's it's mind-blowing
0: yeah and you're still in the you're still like in the early stages of transforming your property too
1: uh, yeah, I've I've done I mean, a ton. I'm couple pretty years. far wrong, but.
0: You're kind of just sitting back here, waiting for it to produce now.
1: Well, yeah, I'm pretty much in that phase. but three years, but, but, but two of those years was fucking around with food plots. Yeah. And it's yeah, really so you're, only you're been just... a year of like smart management. Right. Well, yeah, a little over a year, but that's where it's made the, the biggest impact. But, um, yeah, and it's fun, dude. It's, I mean, who doesn't like dropping trees, right?
0: Or yeah, just getting out in the woods in March and February, and it's a lot better than August, like what I do.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, a lot less expensive. it's uh, dude, everything is about it's better. So yeah, it's gonna be some awesome stuff. But it's gonna go here's where, here's where it's hard for people is when it's, um, because you know it's hard for me too is when you have when you're being constantly marketed to via hunting shows, and you have they create a belief system, right? And then when something goes against that belief system, sometimes it's kind of uncomfortable for a little bit. But instead of going with hunting shows and marketing shows, I like to go with whitetail and forest biologists. And because they're not selling anything, they're just giving science. So that's kind of what um, we're going to share.
0: Yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're nerding out on the stuff we're talking about, uh, we nerd out on like MSU Deer Lab has a podcast and their stuff is super,
1: super good. Um, it's ridiculously good. Like they are the antithesis of hunting shows. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, so yeah, what Steve, if you, I know you got to go going quick. Um, but what is number one, the different trips you're taking for your hunting season in the fall? Oh. And number two, like some goals <laughs> here in Wisconsin, and then you can kind of list your goals too. And yeah, get-
1: absolutely. So big goal. First goal, I'm heading to Colorado. I do a hardcore by myself way in the mountains, just hardcore backpack. Um, live for a little over a week unless i get one before that just chasing elk with my boat and then i'm gonna i always do a uh, public land um solo spot and stalk mule deer hunt in south dakota um i might do nebraska as well because I'm, um, I'm not a big fan of wisconsin gun hunting it's just not my thing i i i just don't like it i don't enjoy it i don't I feel guilty shooting a deer with a rifle. I wasn't always like that. It's just, I don't know, as I've gotten older, not that I'm against it. It's just me personally. So I'll probably go on a bull hunting trip during the Wisconsin gun season. Um, and then I also, a couple of my biggest goals is I got a couple guys that have never killed a deer with their bow. So I'm going to set them up on my property and try and get them their first deer, which uh, I think will be really cool.
0: Yeah. And uh, generally we teach always, especially in businesses, if you provide value, good things will happen to you. So if you, if you get and set up these guys with good hunting spots and help them kill a deer, I think the old hunting karma bank will fill up on your
1: end. That'd be pretty cool. Um, yeah. And then one thing too we gotta do Taylor, make it maybe a video podcast cause I do a lot of, I've done a lot of, um, a lot of stuff out West. I've gotten really good at um, butchering deer on the spot and just throwing it in my backpack and carrying it out. And once you learn how to do it, you'll never drag and hang a deer again. So that's yeah. uh, that's one cool cool uh, thing benefit of hunting out west when dragging isn't an option.
0: Yeah. Well, I guess it is an
1: option, but you kill yourself.
0: Steve's one of the uh, one of the most knowledgeable people in the hunting world that I've met, and he's not in the hunting world because he's been busy growing a very successful health business and all that other stuff. But we're um, going to get his uh, knowledge out to the out to the world. So. Um, as far as elk and mule deer out there, is there specific goals you want to accomplish or Um, certain standard that you hunt on?
1: (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's, I'm kind of, maybe this is weird too, is, um, for me, like for the out West stuff, it's in a lot of hunting too. It's not about like, I mean, I do want to get some, you know, nicer ones, of course. So, but I don't have like a 300 inch standard. For me, it's like, like, how, how do I get it right? Like the process. So I'm going solo, never been there, putting my finger on a map and just completely blind winging it. And if I can get an animal by just winging it and doing everything myself, like no guides, no tips, no anything. I think that's pretty cool. And uh, the same is going to be for the mule deer. I've gotten a bunch of mule deer, so I try and get a little bigger each year, but it's the same thing. It's just like, how do I get it? It's by myself. It's public lands. bow only. And um, and I make it make it really hard. Just try and just try and rough it, I guess. So for me, like getting a say a, a a four by four decent mule deer on public land by myself is a lot cooler than if I and I could afford it going to Alberta and paying a rancher to shoot a two hundred incher by a corn pile. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yep, Which, and yep. then and then putting the mount on my wall and bragging to people that come over when yeah. I could have probably stabbed it with a spear or hit it with a hammer
0: yeah or or, uh those type of hunts are interesting i mean how many do you think that are those kind of hunts are what you're seeing on the outdoor channel too
1: dude i i have this video did i ever show you this video i have a video i filmed the tv it was uh ted nugent and his wife bragging about oh yeah yeah yeah
0: yeah and there's like deer like just mingling around them like 15 years
1: as, as they're filming the fucking kill talking like you and i are talking there's a deer walking around behind them like, it's like a zoo, right? I mean, I, I mean, they knew she's a pretty good dude, but it was abs- how they missed that on editing blew my mind.
0: But, yeah, yeah, how, I mean, they let that, how they let that through? That's crazy. Yeah.
1: I mean, There's, obviously, they're not very smart deer, right?
0: I mean, that's, <laughs> but, that was like a deer. Uh, yeah, I think you sent it to me. And it's like a deer just slowly walking behind them at like 30 yards, right?
1: Yeah, a deer. It's like they're literally talking over a dead eight-pointer, and a deer just walks by behind them like it's their family dog. <laughs> like, yeah so i don't know i I get a, a lot more joy out of um um just roughing it and doing it public and being by like i want to be the hunter not the trigger person right so i mean just recently i actually whatever someone's like yeah you have a guide with you i'm like well i'm out i don't want i want to be the person that does it all right find it kill it butcher it do do everything as opposed to have Someone do everything for me, and I just show up and pull the trigger, let an arrow fly, I guess. So well, that's kind could, of. We
0: could get into that too about the whole guide deal because just because they have a guide or their name has something to do with guides or they run a guiding service means nothing.
1: <laughs> yeah, and that's one unfortunate thing. I spent a lot of time out west and I, I do all public land, but I've seen guides and how they operate, and I've watched guides. Just drop people off on the side of the road in a terrible spot on public land that this person could have easily gone to for free. And I don't know what they're paying this guy, but I, I always feel bad for him. I mean, that, you know, it's like any industry, right? I'm not, I'm sure there's great guides out there. I know there's great guides out there, but there's a lot of shysters out there that they're just terrible.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's odd. It's very odd. I've heard a lot of people tell stories about how they went through a guide one year and then they go back out just by themselves next year because everything they're hunting was just on public, which is fine. It's just you need to make sure you tell your customers and stuff that, I mean, it is public land. You're providing your knowledge and what you're giving them, not, not the actual land that they're hunting, which is. Yeah,
1: and I got duped on that. I, I bought a tag through a guide. It was still like solo hunting, but the only way, sometimes the only way to get a tag is to buy it through a guide. This is in Canada. So the guide was a, yep, that's guy a lot, lot in Canada. A tag and oh, Tom's like, Oh yeah, you're the only bow hunter. And I showed up. There was eight bow hunters that had been there for a week. And that's like, how do you blatantly lie and then have to look someone in the face? And one, it, it was just so bizarre to me, but it was the whole trip was just miserable when you, when you just get, you know, lied to like that.
0: Yeah. Oddly enough, my strange guiding story is, from Canada too. It's not saying that Canada people aren't nice, but uh.
1: but on the flip side, my first, the first, I, I did a bear hunt. I mean, it wasn't, I can't really call it hunting, right. It's more of just a relaxing vacation because you uh, you'd go up there and sit above a bait pile that someone else put out for you. And it's like, I mean, to me that's not really hunting, but it was really relaxing and really fun and I really enjoyed bear meat. So that was, it was more of a, it was a relaxing vacation. Well, the point is that guide was amazing. He did a great job baiting, great job setting everything up, like great, nice cabins, great boats, great bait, great walleye cleaning house. It was, it was really cool. That so, is,
0: that is bear hunting though. If you're, if you're baiting, like they hunt and like the, like the, cause everything is always like as, as shitty as it gets is as, as cool as it's going to be when it comes together, you know, or like the gratifying it is when you're successful. Like the act of baiting is the shit shitty spot shitty part of hunting bear like right it's a lot like running running day, every day running 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 um so it's interesting
1: yeah my um, brother does that he uh doesn't really care to shoot the bear he just runs baits for people and then i'll uh, put some on them so uh, he, he enjoys that process reason to get out in the woods get some exercise and the cameras the pictures you get doing that are so cool right watching all these different bear come in and
0: Um yeah, they get in full on fights in front or they're banging in front of the camera. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Mom and all of her cubs hanging out. It's pretty cool. But um, you know, bear hunting it's not it's not for me. I I like to I like to get out and get moving and chase stuff and just I don't know. when it's, it's when it's hard and you get something you just feel so much better. That it's just more gratifying I guess. Even if it's not like a you know this is kind of weird, but like one of my proudest books is a spike. Right. Which is like, you know, if you look at a wall, someone might kind of snicker at me, but it was my first mule deer with a bow. I had no idea what the hell I was doing. I'm on public land, just trying my best, making every mistake possible, thinking that this is impossible. And then I actually got one and it was, uh, I was very, very proud of it.
0: Yeah. It's, it's all, it all comes back to experience and you, and that's kind of a cool thing that, you and I do too is is we're hunting public land when we travel too and I think you hunt even around Wisconsin some and then but we're yeah, like, I do,
1: yeah we do I do uh, I, quite a bit of public hunting in Wisconsin
0: yeah like and back here is um, my focus is is land management and, and like that's a whole other like strategy and, and it's all comes down to the process and it's just a different type of hunting but like we're super I'm I love public hunting like the fact of just like unknown and Walk miles and miles, and then boom—like one day it just happens. But yeah, I also absolutely. love like the land management side of stuff too.
1: And to me, you know, I, I don't get me wrong—it would be because I, I've, I've uh, you know what I mean. I have friends or whatever who's got whose families have X hundred acres that they've been managing for fifteen years, and they'll be like, "Yeah, I seen." Fi- I'm not joking, right? I seen fifteen bucks and thirteen does, and I'm like, "This season's like no." Yesterday morning, it's like what? Right, so I mean that. Don't get me wrong; it'd be kind of fun to go out and sit some night and see fifteen or twenty bucks. Um, but it'd probably get kind of like, well, this isn't very hard. You know? Sounds
0: like a Sound like that's how I look at it. Like once you get to that point, that's time to to sell it and and move on to the next one. Yeah,
1: it's, uh, one shit. The one friend is his wife went out. It was like her first time ever, and she got it was like a hundred and forty five inch box. It's like. You know, they're just, they're everywhere. And but that's really good management, you know, and uh, they got big acres and they've been doing it for a long time. And, and uh, so that's cool for them. I yeah. guess maybe it's just because I don't have that yet.
0: Well, I mean, it's, it's showing like, and I'm sure they, I don't know how they hunt, but I'm sure if someone's really serious about bow hunting, they probably get into a complete like deep dive battle with a certain buck each year too. Like that, there's that side of it.
1: Um, yeah. It could be everyone's gunning for the same target buck. Yeah.
0: Um, I mean, that's all I find. Uh,
1: right? Well, you haven't been hunting as long as I have. That's what, that's what I, th- I find one of the downsides of trail cameras, because they're awesome, right? They're so damn addicting. Like, checking a trail cam is Christmas for adults every single time, I think. But, you
0: can't control you, yourself.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's hard. But you, the one thing when, before the existence of trail cams, like, you always had hope that a monster buck might show up right? Like that was always in the back of my mind, like, Hey, I might see a monster buck tonight, but when you have a bunch of trail cams and none of the cameras have picked up a monster buck, it like takes that away. So part of me sometimes wants to just get rid of trail cams.
0: It's sad because I can, I'm getting to a point now where I have so many cameras too. Like I would say almost every buck that was mature that I've seen the last like two or three years has, I've recognized from a trail cam picture. Like I haven't had like a, Holy shit. I've never seen that deer before. Moment, yeah,
1: that's what and I mean, it is, right? It's like,
0: that. it's like it's like uh, it takes like v- a very real part of like the anticipation away, but on the other end, too, like I get that from you know, public hunting and you know, fighting, yeah, absolutely, finding different yeah. properties and all Go that
1: public that. hunting, and you peek over a hill and say, like, "Ooh, what do we got here? Super yeah. exciting! But I've, I've, I've been hunting long enough that you know, I've, I've, I've experienced the transition of um. You know, find trails, find rubs, find scrapes. Plan to now. It's creating trails, creating scrapes, creating water holes, creating movement patterns. So it's gone from, you know, it's more to farming than hunting. But I enjoy both.
0: Yeah, farming's awesome. I love it. Um, yeah. So I think that's pretty, pretty good. I know you gotta. Do you have to go pick up your kids at three thirty or?
1: No. Yeah. Well. Yeah. The babysitter gets done, so I gotta skit.
0: Yeah. Um, I think we covered, covered a lot of stuff for our first episode. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I can, I'll deep dive into some of my goals and stuff, uh, either at the end of this podcast or, um, we'll let Steve get going here, but anything else, Steve, before we wrap her up?
1: No, man, it's fun. Looking forward to uh, talking more and hopefully sharing some really cool stories about the elk I killed or, you know, it's yeah. going to happen. I'm gonna go elk hunting, and you know, I have giant mule deer right by my boot, just because I don't have a mule deer tag. But that's the way it goes.
0: Yeah, so it's elk only out there.
1: Um, yeah, I just have an elk tag.
0: We'll have. Uh, hopefully, we'll get another one recorded next week, and before you head out, because I I'm actually heading out to Wyoming too next week. So we'll try to get one more record. We will uh, deep dive into what our plans are out
1: west. So, all right, man, sounds good. Talk to you again. All right, see ya.